Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome to another edition of the Pod Control Podcast. Uh, Brian, it's a uh, miserable kind of miserable day out here with weather. Um, I guess we're getting the last remnants of the uh, storm up uh, in this direction. How's uh, how's things down your neck of the woods? Yeah, we uh, we got we got about five days of storm. Uh, lots of rain down here. We we lucked out in the Raleigh area. We only got you know six or eight inches of rain down east and south part of North Carolina and South South Carolina got just massive flooding. So uh, you know, saying a prayer for all those folks, hoping hoping everybody's safe. And uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a it was an ugly storm. It wasn't as bad as they thought, but uh, just tons and tons of rain, which is never good for flooding and, and other bad things. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it uh, some of the. Flooding totals further south were, were pretty incredible. Um, yeah, and I guess we'll throw maybe we should throw in the show notes uh, some places that people want to uh, you know throw some donations towards the American Red Cross or, or some some things down in that area. Yeah, I'll, we'll put a few in the show notes. And you know, as always, if, if you're able to help, that's great. And uh, you know, but totally understand if, if uh, people have other commitments and stuff. There's lots of lots of things going on in the world that uh, you can make good donations to. So, hey man, I thought today we uh, we mentioned this on the show last week, and uh, we threw it out on the podcast uh, or on the yeah on the last show and out on social media. Thought we would do just some some listener questions, some ma- mailbag stuff. So we we made a list of yeah. Three- I think. Uh- I thought it's, uh, you know, as you said, it's good to see what questions we have come in. Sometimes we, you know, can answer them quickly on Twitter, but, you know, sometimes it's good to expand on those topics. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've got like three or four today that are kind of longer form topics that we can get into. And, um, you know, again, as always, folks, uh, podctl at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm happy to, to try and answer questions as best we can. Um, some of them are, you know, really, really long winded ones that uh, are hard to answer, but we'll do the best we can. So. Um, so the first one we've got is from, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give some some first names out. People will know that's them. But uh, first one's from a guy named David. Uh, we won't do last names and other things just to protect the innocent. But uh, David asks, you know, is it possible for you guys to to do a show or to dig into some of the, uh, you know, things like Spark and Jupyter Notebooks and uh, and analytics workloads on Kubernetes, or just you know, what are some pointers and guidance that you're seeing around those things coming along? Yeah, I think this is this is, um, and we. We had, I think, um, uh, we had Jeremy Eater on a, a pretty while ago. I think it was last year, kind of earlier days, talking about uh, some of the high performance and uh, workloads on, uh, you know, on Kubernetes things like Spark and using GPUs and, and those types of things. Uh, that that area is still growing pretty rapidly. Um, and then, you know, we we see things like uh, different big data workloads that maybe traditionally would have been on something like Hadoop or starting to move to Spark and then and with that move to Kubernetes and kind of that's where some of the, um, you know, kind of work around um, integration or notebooks for actually project images and everything right on Kubernetes. I think we have some some links to uh, some, some blog posts about how to do it specifically on OpenShift. Uh, but there's another, you know, there's obviously a, a lot of other resources as well. Yeah, we've got a, a colleague named uh, Graham Dumpleton who is based out of down in the Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand region, who who does a lot around Jupyter notebooks and has a bunch of background in, in analytics. So he's written some of those posts. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing about it is people are kind of interested in being like, hey, what's the one feature or what's the one architecture thing that's just going to let us run all the analytics stuff? And I, I think if we step back for a little bit, um, you know, the the original Kubernetes scheduler and some of the original capabilities were there really to kind of run, you know, 80% of workloads, different kinds of workloads. And and over time, it's been adopting more of a, 
of a custom scheduler model. We've talked about that on some previous shows. We've talked about things like CRDs. And then we've talked a lot about uh, you know what what goes on down at like the node level and the custom scheduler level to like you said run GPUs and so forth. So I, I think collectively we've seen Kubernetes as a scheduler plus what the nodes can do plus some of the granularity that's there at the node level, being able to, to bring in different pluggable hardware, be able to build custom schedulers. Um, it, you know is is kind of building more and more towards these workloads that will run uh, very natively on, on Kubernetes. Um, obviously, we've seen stuff like TensorFlow and some other frameworks that are that are gaining a lot of traction that sort of are Kubernetes native. But uh, I, I think that's the best way to think about it. We'll, we'll put a bunch of things in the show notes. Um, things are getting better. Um, you know, the, the more modern analytics frameworks uh, tend to be a little more friendly because they are, you know, they, they depend less on their own scheduler and they allow some pluggable schedulers. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of the places where you need to kind of go into details based on your specific use cases. I think people think about things, uh, you know, from a very generic perspective, but depending on your particular use case and what tool sets uh, your data scientists are looking at using and stuff like that, it, it, you have to look into, you know, what's what's supported yet and then kind of what's what's being worked on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, just for reference, people kind of go sometimes like, oh, does this stuff really work? I mean, we've you know, I know from an OpenShift perspective, we've had a number of companies who have, you know, gone to OpenShift Commons and spoke about, you know, using analytics to do fraud detection for credit cards. Uh, you know, we just had another bank talk to us the other day about, uh, you know, doing what, something like a billion or so transactions, um, you know, with, with some analytics stuff. So it's definitely being done. Um, it may not always be talked about because some of the things people are doing with, with some of the big data things are pretty sensitive to their business. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely something that, uh, we'll get more details and people are, should, should definitely be experimenting about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the second, the second question, and we always kind of make sure we, we cover all the questions. This one we actually covered a little while ago, but we kind of want to come back to it because a lot keeps changing in this space. Um, this one was from Matthew and, and Matthew asked, Hey, can we get your thoughts on, um, you know, kind of the future of, of how applications will be deployed on Kubernetes. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there. They they were asking about Helm and and operators and uh, OpenShift has templates and um, you know there's you know been a bunch of stuff coming on recently. Um, why don't we give folks just real quickly because the last time we talked about this was was in episode 37, which was back in May, which not very long ago. But there's been a bunch of other stuff that's come along, stuff like Knative and, and uh, you know, Jib and, and some other ways that people are trying to do build types of things. Let's kind of give folks a rundown of how, uh, you know, what's kind of the landscape of how applications are, are getting onto Kubernetes one way or the other. Yeah, there's there's a, you know, the ways that we kind of used to just, hey, we have, uh, you know, we haven't, we have a uh, image, you know, we built a Docker image. We took our, you know, our traditional application, popped it in a Docker file, or built something with Docker and, and run on Kubernetes. And, um, you know, kind of the, the new stuff has been around, you know, first the tip, traditional like templating and, and things like Helm. Um, now we're seeing a lot more with uh, capabilities like uh, Knative, which helps either, you know, build new ways to bring on. It makes it easier to build serverless apps. Uh, and run them going forward, and then even the uh, operator. So you know, building an operator not just to how do I deploy my app, uh, but how do I you know keep it running, maintain it, uh, have it be a little bit more um, you know self managing, on uh, that. So so I think those are like the the hottest. Any others you can think of? I think that's the. I think those are the big ones. Operators obviously came out around the same time in May. Um, K Native came out. Um, you know, around the Google conference. I, I think the way to look at this and and. The frustration I think we hear from people is they're going, okay, hold on. You know, it's cool that the community is building all these different ways of doing stuff, but, you know, let's say we are 
whatever kind of company we are, um, we want to kind of standardize around some things. We want to teach some people. We want to do some stuff. I think the the two ways to sort of think about it is the two buckets I tend to put things into is there's there's a bunch of tools that are happening that are basically saying, hey, our developers don't want to know anything about containers. Um, you know, can you do some things so that they just write code and, and maybe there's some things that plug in behind the scenes that'll help with builds or help with pipelines or something like that. That's where everything from S2I that OpenShift has to build packs to Knatives build concept to, you know, some other stuff all fit in, right? Those all fit in the, our developers don't want to know anything about containers. And then the other bucket that stuff is sort of fitting in is the, uh, can we build a life cycle around, you know, templating stuff that are inclusive of containers, right? So that's where OpenShift templates fit for a while. Helm fits. Operators are starting to fit. And, you know, we look at something like like operators versus Helm. You know, it's it's the next step of going like, hey, don't just deploy the, the application. Deploy it with some lifecycle concepts around it so that you can upgrade it, that you can put some smarts around it. And I think that's the, the two ways to think about it from a bucket perspective and then kind of go, okay, what's the, the latest within that space that maybe we're interested in? Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a pretty pretty good way to to break it up between those sort of I do want to manage all that stuff versus you know hide as much of that from me as you can. Yeah, and you know the other thing I think that's that's sort of emerging, um, you know, and I don't know exactly where this would go, but we kind of hear some different things. Is you know there there is kind of constant frequent talk in the in the CI space of like should we be building a more Kubernetes native CI thing. And, and we've seen a little bit of this, right? I mean, we've seen things like Kubernetes X uh, from the the CloudBees, you know, the, the original Jenkins folks and CloudBees folks are, you know, doing some things with Kubernetes or, or Jenkins X, which is supposed to be more Kubernetes friendly. Um, you know, there's there's always somebody who's building a new CI platform. I, I think at the end of the day, we still see a ton of traction around Jenkins and people just saying like, how do I get Jenkins to work better with the Sonar Cubes and Cucumbers and all the other kind of tools that people have today? Um, but yeah, there's there's going to be more and more people tweaking the pipeline part of things too, which will be not necessarily how you package stuff, but like, you know, is there should there be more Kubernetes awareness in those pipeline tools? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, the next one's from a gentleman named Will, and this one's a little bit long, so let me see if I can kind of get through a lot of this. Um, you know, Will basically says, hey, you know, in general, how do people secure their Kubernetes applications or their Kubernetes environments? Um, you know, how much do you expose publicly to the, you know, how much do you expose to the public internet? You know, do you, do you expose your sort of ingresses to the public internet? Do you use things like Nginx or, uh, you know, HAProxy or, you know, anything more sophisticated, essentially like, you know, are we doing web application firewalls? So, I, you know, I, I think their, their question is in general, you know, how do you think about security? And then more importantly, sort of the front end, you know, ingress part of security, maybe not pod to pod, but ingress, um, you know, and, and are there any best practices around this? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think some of it is is sort of the traditional um, kind of under, you know, the same tools. So, uh, yeah, so if you traditionally have, you know, your, your uh, you know, of, of web front ends. And then in front of that, you'll have a, a big IP or uh, some other sort of, uh, you know, firewalling, you know, application level firewalling or anything like that. Th- those pieces still, um, st- you know, still exist. Um, the the main difference is you just have, you know, coming out of your, uh, your kube cl- cluster where you may be running a bunch of different applications, they're going through some sort of uh, ingress controller, 
Um, or you may be using an upstream ingress, you know, or using one of those up, upstream things as ingress. So like say on AWS using, uh, you know, the, um, the uh, elastic load balancers. So it's, it's doesn't change it too much. Um, from, from that perspective, it's just, uh, kind of the dynamic nature. So, so using your manifest to program your, you know, ingress controllers that are, you know, exposing your application, you know, making sure that that's then configured further upstream, uh, if you have other web application firewalls or, or more advanced load balancers. Yeah. I, I think that's the, I think that's the way to look at it is it's the, the ingress function. Yeah. There, there can be some sophisticated scenarios that people have, but, but in general, um, you know, people are doing defense in depth. The ones that that do it well and do it in production, um, you know, you can you can protect the ingress traffic. Um, you may need some granularity as to how it comes in and how you track, you know, source IP addresses and and other things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's still like Kubernetes isn't unique in that you you do need defense in depth. Um, people will you know put certain defense characteristics, security characteristics around egress, but they also put that you know around. Uh, you know, host level things around the application itself, around scanning and all these other things that we've talked about. So, um, you know, what, what Nginx is doing um, is, uh, you know, it's, it's viable. It's very good. Some people use it. Other people, um, some people have built their own. I know Heptio has sort of built a, an ingress proxy. They have an open source project on that. There's, there's advancements that are going on in the upstream community as well. Um, we've done a bunch around network policy in, in OpenShift as well. Um, and then, you know, like you said, doing things with, with big IP and, and other stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think it really depends on what you're comfortable with. Sometimes it's, you know, can we reuse what we have today because we have a whole ingress infrastructure that's in place and how we monitor it. Um, but it, you know, the, conceptually, it's not really, really different from a container perspective in terms of how you secure things. Yep. Yep. Um, and the last one we have um, from uh, from Walid or, or Walid. I apologize if we're pronouncing it wrong. Um, and this is a this is a topic that really we need to get to and do an entire show about. Uh, and basically, he's asking about storage, and he's saying, you know, what are the storage options that are available for production use cases? Um, and I think this is a good topic that we'll we'll get into in more details. Um, I know we've talked to a couple of different companies that do storage things, um, but this is one of those areas where I, I think there's there's sometimes a disconnect between application teams who maybe just look at uh, some sort of self service system that just says like, hey, I just want this many gigs of storage and maybe this kind of IOPS, and and then the underlying infrastructure team who sort of realizes like, oh, well, sometimes. Block is a good thing. Object is a good thing. NFS is a good thing. Like, if you don't live in the storage world, you sort of don't realize that there's like different ways to do storage for different use cases. And and I think sometimes there's a disconnect there. Oh no, definitely. I mean, I think I feel like uh, you know both of us having you know, worked in the storage industry and and uh, administering storage and things like that. You know, there's a lot a lot of different aspects to it. Um, so, you know, that can be challenging when it comes to performance or, you know, capacity. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing how even today you just don't think about it because so many laptops have SSDs in them. And so, uh, you know, friends with older laptops, oh, this laptop's really slow. I need a new one. And then it's like, well, they still have an old spinning hard drive in it. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, we could just replace that and it'll be way faster. Yep. And they're like, really? I don't – how how many gigs am I going to have? How many – you know. So I think it's definitely something that um, can be a little bit sort of black magic. Uh, but but at a high level, you can bring uh, a lot of different storage. And usually, when someone's talking about things like this, they're they're ones that need to be integrated to the platform. So this would be like a block or 
or something like that. Because if you're using object storage, your your app can call out to a bucket somewhere, and that's that's pretty normal. Um, the the block block slash file kind of options. That's where the container uh, storage interface comes in to basically tell Kube how to talk to and ask for storage. Uh, and it may be you know spinning up. Um, you know, virtual disks from your hypervisor, or it could be calling out to a storage array or, or any number of different things. And there's even some uh, platforms that run on, on the platform itself. So you may have physical nodes with a bunch of disks in them, and then you're running, um, you know, something like Gluster as a uh, app on Kubernetes that's you know, consuming that storage and then presenting it out as this sort of pool of storage back to the Kubernetes cluster. So it can it can get complex quick. We should definitely you know go into more detail on that. Yeah, we sh- we definitely should. I, a couple of other little tidbits I'll throw out to folks. I, I think um, what we see a lot of times in, in the OpenShift world is you have to clarify a couple of things for people. The first one is um, there are there are storage requirements for your OpenShift Kubernetes platform, right? And that includes like um, kind of the native services of the platform, like how does the platform get monitored? Um, you know, where applications get monitored, where does all that data go? Uh, how you log things, um, the data that the, you know, the storage and data that's used for like things like etcd and masters. Um, so think of it like, like native services that the application, the, the platform has to provide for itself just to remain stable and so forth. There's typically storage requirements specific to those. And they tend to be about, performance and availability and and you know kind of specific to, to the infrastructure and then there will be the the storage that's needed for those applications and and that's where things get a little bit um you know you get into a lot of like what ifs and the most simple thing i think we hear from people is whatever you sort of would have used for that application let's say it was just running on a linux machine before uh you know like oh nfs is an acceptable thing for this application running on a linux machine okay, that's probably going to be acceptable. Or it could run with an object bucket or something backing it. That's fine. Um, you know, I think what happens sometimes is people get confused and they go like, oh, well, you know, we're going to use object for like some part of our registry. So, and we just have this object store sitting around. I'll just use that for some of my applications. And those applications might've been running like on a fiber channel SAN or something before. And and I mean, just different different worlds of, you know, what what high performance storage does and what big, you know, cheap storage does. And, and you kind of have to start educating the developers about what that means. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, that's where, you know, kind of the, the magic of, of stuff like DevOps mentalities where, you know, trying to bring those two sides together. So people that have, you know, you don't, you don't want your developers to all have to be storage experts. If, if I was, uh, you know, running an IT shop and I saw my developers with IOP calculators out and, and things like that and, disk counts and I'd be, I'd be upset because that's not what they should be spending their time doing. Right. Um, but I think it's, they still have to have that basic knowledge, like you said, to understand that there are these different types and there's, you know, performance oriented storage and, you know, sort of capacity oriented storage and kind of what makes sense from there. Right. Right. Yeah. And like we said, we'll get into this and in, into another show. Um, you know, one other thing that we'll throw out to people is we see more and more people using their Kubernetes platform, their OpenShift platform, whatever it is, uh, you know, on different cloud environments, you know, they'll run it in their own data center and they've got whatever for storage. And then they, uh, you know, will, you know, run an instance of it on like AWS or they'll run it on Azure. And probably more than anything else, storage is very often very, very different between different cloud environments. And so you kind of can't just assume 
if something worked a certain way, uh, whether it's response time or how it failed over or something, that it will work exactly the same in the other environment. And that's an area where you, you probably need to do a decent amount of validation and testing to, to make sure it does what you want it to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's very environmental de- environment dependent and application dependent. And yeah, it, it can get pretty complicated pretty quick. Yeah. So, well, listen, those were sort of, the, you know, over the last month or so, those were kind of some of the big questions that came up to us. Um, obviously, folks, you can see, you know, we'll, we're more than happy to take a bunch of different questions from you, um, you know, whatever you want us to hit on. Um, you know, I know we've gotten some feedback from um, some customers that, that work with OpenShift um, that have liked what's on the show, and we've gotten some back-channel things that they like to see. Um, we've gotten some other feedback from uh, from people on the show, from from competitors and all that listen to the show, so thanks for listening. Um, but, uh, yeah, any any questions you have, feel free to send them to us. Um, we will we will try and answer them. Sometimes they'll be right away. Um, sometimes they'll be, you know, we'll, we'll batch them together like this and do them once a month or once a quarter or something. But, uh you know, definitely thanks for all the questions. Um, hopefully we were able to, to touch on some of the topics you wanted. And, and as always, you know, hit us up if you if you uh, are interested. And, and also, like we always say, if you get a chance, review the show. Give us a ratings on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to the show. It, uh, it helps and it helps uh, new people find the show and so forth. So, Tyler, any other uh, questions that you've gotten recently you think we ought to hit on or save for a next show? Um, no, not that I can think of. I think those were kind of the big ones that we saw come in. Yeah. Yeah. So, folks, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, hopefully getting back into, uh, you know, some more technology stuff. I think we're, we're getting back into the season where there's going to be announcements. Uh, there's a bunch of product announcements that are going to be coming out from different people here recently. And uh, we'll get back into uh, into some news topics as well. So, as always, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.